0: This is the Jazz Violin Podcast episode 22 and today I'm chatting with Bar subject of today's podcast is, it's a little bit different than usual. Um, Basically, both me and Barr had a very good friend who passed away recently, Steve Aston. He was a musician, a guitarist and a composer. And um, we have been involved in bringing out some vinyls of Steve's music that I played on and Barr produced in uh, over over about the last seven years. And we just wanted to do this episode to bring people's attention to um, to the music of Steve Aston, basically. Uh, he's a great friend of ours, and it's been a real difficult time since Steve passed away. But um, Barr took over the, yeah, the production uh, and the release of this music uh, that we really felt it just needed to come out. And Steve wanted it on vinyl. He had started it himself before he passed. And, uh, yeah, so here we are. Um, Please enjoy the episode. And, uh, yeah, thanks. Okay, so I guess we're doing this because a good friend of ours, a good friend and I guess you could call colleague uh, if you would call what we do work. Um, he, uh, well, he, he was a composer and a musician and uh, an amazing person, Steve Astin. Steve uh, sadly p- I passed away in June and um, Steve was in the middle of, record, well, had recorded and was in the middle of releasing or putting together a couple of vinyls filled with the music that he had recorded and written over the last what, seven, ten, like seven to six, ten years? Six years. Six years but start, before we've been writing it. I think he was writing it before, he, right? He
1: was writing it before, but we started recording it in January 2013.
0: Yes. So uh, anyway, and, right, and what's happened... Um, Recently is that, well, when Steve passed away, quite quickly, you, Bar, and I guess a couple of other people, myself, Ellis, other people who were involved in the making of and uh, playing of Steve's music felt it was really important to make sure that that music uh, came out still. Right. And quite quickly uh, took over making that happen. And Steve really wanted it to be on vinyl. And Steve, you know, we were we were already in the middle of he was already in the middle of talking to the vinyl company and getting right. things sorted, and we basically had to <laughs> delve into his emails and find out who these people were, what was already done, and finish it off. And now that has been done. And yeah. the what, was done was <laughs> what was already but,
1: done was nothing. What was already yeah. done was was get an invoice.
0: Yes, he'd basically sent them an email and that was about it (laughs) but um you know you got to start somewhere yeah I guess to backtrack, uh, Steve was a guitarist and composer from Derby, UK, um, which is in the middle of the UK, middle of England. Just not quite north of England enough to call it the north of England. But in London, which is where I am, most people would say that that is the north. Um, and he was mainly involved in the, the gypsy jazz scene or the jazz manouche scene or whatever you want to call it. The uh, musical legacy of Django Reinhardt. And I first met Steve in, well, I think I first met him at the Bar in London, which is a venue dedicated to gypsy jazz and Django Reinhardt. But then I fully got to know him in Samoa, which is the fe- annual fest annual Django Reinhardt festival in just outside of Paris. Is that
1: 2012 or 2011?
0: When did we play at Samoa?
1: I want to. When did we play? We played 2013.
0: We played 2013. Well, that was the the year before was my first year.
1: So literally, you came, and on the second year, you were already on stage doing yeah. The solos.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's,
1: that, that's how you get to making all those big time podcasts it's like you just chew yourself in yeah, to all those exactly. situations just turn up like people come to someone for 30 years they can't find parking you come for <laughs> one year you go on stage
0: <laughs> well I think I don't know yeah well you know it's, it's uh you you gave me the gig man so <laughs> it's uh
1: well we got a gig yeah we had a gig um so so 2012, you come for the first time and you didn't you didn't get to know Steve before on like the London gypsy we, jazz no, circuit.
0: I didn't live in London at that point. I lived in Leeds and I knew Kourosh, Kurosh Kanani was spending a lot of time playing with Steve. Right. And then Kurosh at some point, I, I guess maybe six months before that first trip in 2012 to Samoa, um, Kurosh invited me down to the Cucumber to play with him and Steve, just a trio. It was on like a Saturday night. And uh, yeah, I remember it was just like a, you know, it was the first time I'd been to the Cucumber and it was the first time I met Steve. And I think I was quite new to playing to like, I don't think I was like fully focusing on playing that style at that point, but I was, yeah, it was, I was really excited about it. And the gig was, I remember it being really fun. I remember it being a bit... I mean, I think we ended up drinking a lot afterwards. And I think... Uh,
1: I think some, that's an important point to make. I played with Steve for 10 years. Yeah. And, and I can't remember one gig that wasn't fun. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I cannot. And, and I played gigs that weren't fun in my life. Like, And I think yeah. the shittiest gig I may have played with Steve yeah. was still fun. Yes. And I think I even know where it was. It was where does that bus go from Hove towards the west? Is that Rotting Dean? No, the, the other side. It definitely
0: it does go to Rotting Dean. I've heard that
1: that no, place. But there's I've another side like we played at this chippy thing, I think, that was like us and two people and two people working there on like a Sunday or a Saturday. And it was like everybody in this universe would have called it a waste of time and it was the best fun because it's your mate you're just playing with your mate somebody's giving you money for it
0: yeah yeah well the thing is steve really did have a um a way of making most situations fun and actually making the best of situations and actually i actually sort of what sticks in my mind quite a lot at the moment is like the times because i'm like pretty much the opposite of that I'm quite good at making really fun situations uh, negative just by, compl- I mean, it's, it's like, it's just, it's, it's not that I'm, I just, I just like to complain.
1: There's a profession there. I'm sure you yeah. can make money off. There's an income there.
0: Yeah, there probably is. But uh, if if there is, I I should be a millionaire because I, I like to complain a lot. And I, I, And what sticks in my mind is like Steve getting pissed off with me for that. It's like and it's sort of like I'll just be complaining because it's like part it seems like it's part of my humor. I just quite like to complain and take the piss out of stuff. As much as he does as well. He likes to keep a positive outlook on the situation he's in. So I'll be like, Oh God, look at this. This place is fucking hilarious. Look at that guy. And he'll be like, Oh shut up, Matt. I'll be, Oh shut up, Holborn. And then I'll go, Oh yeah, God, I'm complaining too much. Cause yeah, Steve, really positive and he could make anything fun. So like you said. There was no no fun gigs. Um, How did you... So I've said how I first met Steve. um, How did I first meet
1: Steve? I met Steve in 2009 playing the International Gypsy Jazz Guitar Festival in Uh one of its, I think, last iterations. (laughs) Um, Irritations? Yeah, I won't, there won't, slip. There, n- no, because I was thinking about the fact that there weren't any toilets back then or not running water back then. It <laughs> was like the last festival in the Western Hemisphere to not have running water, I think. <laughs> we should check it out on Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> but it was all the more fun for it. Like, I feel at that time it was really like you felt the hardcore of gypsy jazz, like you literally yes. felt it because people came to endure what was like basically the worst conditions of a <laughs> festival <laughs> and they had the best time of their lives. So, yeah. And Steve was there playing with um, Quasimodo, ah. which was his band at the time, which is, oh, who was on there? It was Nigel. Yes. For on yeah. accordion, who plays with you guys and on steve's recordings it was i think diego uh, yes diego parada on guitar who was on bass was it george i don't think it was george it wasn't
0: george i don't think like i know that steve didn't
1: know george at that point yeah anyway this is like uh over 10 years ago so i don't remember but i do remember i actually wrote this down somewhere but uh I remember they played Madame de Bucarest, the Barreau Ferret. And mm-hmm. they just nailed it. And yeah. that is at a time where everybody in Gypsy Jazz were still playing the standards. We're still playing not even Coquette. This is pre coquette. Coquette is like twenty eleven or, or I don't know. But it's like it's 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 pretty cliche, if you will, yeah. but everybody's yeah. still doing the swing and everybody's yeah. playing the Roman tunes and stuff like that. And I was like, oh my God. And reflecting on that now, I think it was two things. A, I think they really studied that music well, which is a music that needs to be studied to a higher level than just, you know, learning a 16-bar, 32-bar gy- Gypsy Jazz standard. Yeah. And I think it was... And I never thought about that, but I think it was really Steve's spirit and enthusiasm of that genre, of that place in Gypsy Jazz history. Yeah. And that he found people that were excited enough to go to this adventure of this very esoteric music. Yeah. And that just made it it just made it so right. And you saw like, mm. there's something about doing tributes to music that not a lot of people know that is more interesting than doing like an ACDC tribute. You know what I yes, mean? of course, yeah. And I think that, I remember we got to talking after that and we became really good friends. Um, I was playing the festival as well with uh, my quartet at the time. So it was Ben Holder. Um... Mm which i think is literally the violin player which is juxtaposition to you in any aspect i can think of in life.
0: Well, i mean we're both a bit ginger.
1: Literally the one thing that you have in common. <laughs> you both breathe oxygen. Um so it was Ben Holder, it was Benji Chiria. Yeah. on guitar and a good friend of mine Max uh, Ole Archic, who's now actually the bass player for Big Thief um, Benji,
0: as in uh, the he's yep. Roman eGypsy? Gypsy,
1: yeah. Oh, wow,
0: Jesus, yeah. I didn't know that,
1: yeah, man. Got Such a nice
0: guy, he's a wicked player, he's well.
1: a wicked player. He had wicked swing, those I, I came across in one of those videos like recently, and I was like, oh man, that thing swings like hell, yeah. and it does obviously it swings like hell because of Benji. Um, mm. So because I was on stage, I guess, and he was on stage, we did get to talk and we just we immediately connected, I guess, because and that was the guiding line ever since is that we really just hugely appreciated everyone yes. what the other one did. And that took us on a on a wild ride that lasted for 10 years. So we got to play tons of gigs in a lot of very fun places and Party really hard, yeah. reg- regret it really horribly, and <laughs> and also make a lot of music, uh, most of it with you. Yes, o- o- all of it with you. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. Uh, I think yeah, the Grimaldi thing. I I was involved with both of the things, so I guess I've been involved with all of it. But yeah. um, which feels weird. I don't know why. I feel like it feels like the Grimaldi thing predated me for some reason I don't know why I guess like Steve's enthusiasm and Steve's um, Steve's way he had a way of you know bringing you in so you're just like I don't know I mean I lived in Leeds when he first asked me to do it and he was just like I remember you know I think I've got the messages somewhere you know saying hey I've got this thing and this is what it is and it's gonna be a killer it's gonna we're gonna do oh that sounds so good yeah we're gonna we're gonna do this amazing thing and it's gonna be great and i've got this vision for it and you're just like great see you there when
1: <laughs> yeah he was he was right too like everything about that is correct it was a yeah. killer it it was perfect it is perfect let's yeah. hear let's hear a song from it what, what would you like to play
0: i think a good one to to put in here would be um Leica
1: Leica has violin in it
0: it was like it's got like it's got like three notes. Okay. That's another running joke. Well, that is a running joke that, that that came up a lot in the band was that I would literally be sitting there for for most of the gig just like waiting to play like one note, and Steve, you know, Steve would be very like, "No, no, you're gonna play it. You're just gonna play this C, and <laughs> and, and that's it. It's just gonna you're just gonna go C, and then and then, and that'll be perfect." I'm like, "Yeah." okay i guess so but he was right you know so like her
1: he was right all right like her <laughs> yeah. Um should, I think it's okay talk, so far. We, should, I mean, it's it, it you want to talk about it?
0: What? Do you want to talk about Leica?
1: About the dog?
0: Um, I, well, I don't know. Yeah, the the whole thing, I guess. What what is what I guess yeah. I mean, yeah, talk about the dog. Do,
1: do you have a a story for Leica that I don't? Like do you know things about Leica that I don't?
0: I don't know anything about Laika. I know I know what you Steve Dog was. I know that Laika was a the, was first the first dog in space, dog, the first dog to be sent to space. Yeah, so yeah. I think that's the thing that Steve Steve Steve's like to name his tunes after really weird stuff.
1: Um, I don't know that Laika's the weirdest though, and and no. and, and if I'm honest. And it could be because I'm very attached to this song because it's the first song of the first album I got to produce. Mm. Um, but I envision Laika every time I listen to that song. <laughs> like I I envision Laika yeah. in her different states as the song progresses. Yeah. Um Yeah. No, I I and I don't know that the titles are very weird. I think that the titles You know what? I feel Steve Aston, more than a lot of people I can get my head around, was his own complete universe. Uh Yes. And I think that song titles are a very big part of it. Uh For me personally, it's really easy to imagine how each song title's subject is related to the music. Yeah. Um, some of them we know where they come from, like Venison Night, for example. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean you,
0: that's the only one that. Were you there for Venison Night? Yeah, I was there. Yeah, tell, that's t- the only. Why song won't you tell the was...
1: Venison Night story so people would understand where that comes from?
0: <laughs> well, Venison Night is named after a night that we had when we uh, we I had come down to Brighton to rehearse this basically to rehearse um for some sort of recording or maybe maybe a gig. I think no, I think it was for for one of the recordings. I'd come down and we were um we were doing some gigs to to get me up there to pay for my fare. We were doing the gigs and we were drinking and we were like there was a there was a there was just so much talk of like look guys we we need to you know we stay on track we can't can't get we can't get hammered you know what i've got this big hunk of venison at home so instead of after we do our afternoon gig at the paris house instead of uh letting things uh, progress how they quite easily can do when there's a group of people who don't see each other very often uh in the pub instead of letting us just end up in the pub and not get anything done and end up waking up feeling hungover widely you know we're gonna go back and we're gonna cook this venison but also you know as we're going we're sort of drinking at the same time you know one, as, one, as we're.
1: one should state at this time that steve Aston was not only a wonderful musician but a masterful cook so there was no reason to doubt that this venison would come out anything other than spectacular
0: yeah exactly so we're thinking like well he's like look guys we're not drinking tonight well, we're not going to stay out afterwards. We're we're all a bit pissed now, but we're going to go. We're going to go, and we're going to do this. Uh, we're going to make. I'm going to make this venison. Yeah. And but but by that point, he has like you know sunk like a a bottle of red wine, and I've had a couple of pints. And but we're still adamant. It's like no, we're going. We're going to. We're not. We're not going home. You know, we're not going to the pub. We're going home. We're going to make this venison. So we did go back. It was like the the band the oh the full band minus uh Nigel and uh yeah so it's the full band minus Nigel we got back and we there was this huge hunk of venison he'd been Steve had been gifted this from one of his guitar students um who I guess had like caught it I don't I I think so and it it was a you know venison's expensive so it was like you know it was a big deal this guy's given us this big hunk of venison but basically we're all pissed and we we get there, we look down at the venison, and Steve's just sort of like, yeah, you know, let's just cut it up and make a stew. So sort of we're like hacking away at this venison, and like sort of maybe like you know three chops in, we're realizing, hey, I don't know if this is the actual, like, do people do this with venison? Do you cut do you do you cut it up and put it in a stew? We didn't even, to this day, I, I don't actually know. We're cutting up this venison, and it sort of already starts to feel wrong. And we're really pissed, and we, so we cut it up. It's it's in loads of little chunks, and Steve, like sort like, st- that, Steve sort of like venison. Whilst we're doing that, Steve's sort of like burning some onions and garlic in a big pot, and then we just sort of fling in the the uh, diced venison, and st- then we're like, ah, I don't know what else, and then Steve's like, Hey, we'll just like I don't know some wine, and he just pours like <laughs> 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 loads. And loads of wine onto it. It's sort of like this deep red sauce with like bits of venison sort of floating up to the top and bits of burnt onion and and stuff just sort of just sort of like piled onto I don't know. It was just anyway was like at this point we're just like we're like sort of already aware that we've fucked this venison up and uh so you know it is sort of like a it's like getting worse you're like oh god i guess we'll just you know put the wine in and then we start then we're like okay what we're gonna eat it with all right potatoes so we like let's do mashed potatoes you know we've got this like pretty much purple curry (laughs) 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 with like (laughs) uh with uh you know with these big hunks of venison in it, and then we're we're doing this potato, and we're just like all a bit pissed, and sort of try to hurry things along, and we're boiling the potatoes, and we don't really boil them long enough, and so then we you know we drain them, and then we realize it's not boiled long enough, so we have got these sort of semi-cooked potatoes, but we're still like let's you know we'll we'll just mash it, and that'll probably help, and we, so we mashed it, and then we've so we, so there this is the end the end product <laughs> is this uh, terrible. Um, flavorless like wine didn't eat it uh, tasting red curry uh, over this like you know poured over this uncooked mashed potato which is all sort of you know we've probably all tried it or all had it once before when it's not great so it was just rubbish it was like it went from it was something that could have been so amazing and we fucked it up
1: and how well Uh, is that for trading that song
0: yeah and I guess we'll play the song yeah
1: I guess we'll play the song
0: Maybe I went on a bit long about that venison there.
1: Well you yeah, you can cut it.
0: Yeah. So So I guess by now we're getting a a decent understanding of of uh Steve's Steve's music and uh and the general I guess vibe we, of it.
1: I guess we could talk a bit about his uh passions and what made him the person he was, which okay. brought him to be the musician he was, I suppose.
0: Well, why don't you lead on that? Because I've just spent the last, like, nine minutes talking about (laughs) venison,
1: so. (laughs) Uh, I would, um, I think that Steve's singularity in his vision, in his music, in the way he developed it and let it slowly cook, unlike a venison. Um... (sighs) is actually based on the fact that he was extremely well-rounded in his capabilities and what he did throughout his life. Unlike um, most of us musicians who, uh, especially as younger musicians, have this um, aim or craving to practice nothing but music and give our lives to the music and to the craft. Steve uh, never saw it like that. Steve played when he wanted to play. Yeah. Um, I remember one of the last texts that we've exchanged between us because I uh, had a period recently where I wasn't playing for a very long time and one day I did pick up the guitar and I played a very, very uh, short amount of time but in it I had like a phrase which sounded very Astony to me so I uh, just recorded it and sent him just a phrase and he was like, ah, yeah. That's what I like. And I like, yeah, I just played five minutes. I don't feel like playing. Like, I only pick up the guitar really when I feel like playing. And he responded, welcome to my world. <laughs> so I think I think what we hear when we hear Steve Aston's own music is the purity and the lack of... Um, additional fats that you might get with a lot of other people that mm-hmm. have tons of years of technique training that they want to take out. They have a lot of references of amazing albums and amazing musicians and, and, and a lot of uh, aspirations that they want to throw out through speakers. Mm-hmm. And uh, Steve really just had this music that he channeled God knows from where. And the channeling of it took a lot of time. And he was very, very patient with it as well. Mm. Um, He had ups and downs. And more than ups and downs, he had periods where he decided to leave the guitar alone. He had periods where he just decided to gig an awful lot. He was never... And this was freaky to me because I'm absolutely the opposite of that. But um, he knew... He just knew that this is the way to do it for him. He mm. knew that it will be there when it will be there and he called you when he needed to call you and he had <laughs> you for the recording date when he needed to record you. Yeah, I think it's one of the big reasons as well that you got roped into this project because I, you know what, Matt? I actually remember the first time we heard you play with Steve at Polo's in the Bouvette mm. in somewhere in 2011. And we both said the same thing, obviously Steve said it first, um, which was how impressed it was, how impressed we were by the fact that you never took more than two choruses. Hmm. And that, and it's like, that is more impressive than what's in the choruses themselves. Not to say that the choruses were not good, but uh, if, if. Anybody here is listening and is not from the gypsy jazz scene. Anything under five choruses is like is considered something wrong with a person. So two choruses max is really a, a, a display of 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 humbleness and and modesty beyond the comprehension of everybody who ever listened to Django Reinhardt.
2: Um,
1: and I think that struck a major chord with Steve. I think mm-hmm. he. I mean, it struck a major chord with me, uh, which is why we've done the Samoa Film Orchestra together. Yeah. And it struck a major chord with Steve, who who felt you'd be the right person to just play those three notes when there are three notes to play. (laughs) Yeah. Which is not a small thing. It's like a huge thing. It's, 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 it's. those three notes much like every other there are no excessive notes in steve yeah. Aston's music
0: that's true it's very true
1: there's like literally not a single note you wouldn't want in there
0: yes i've got quite a i've got a good story of like the like the last recording we did with steve the last the last recording i did with steve anything you know anything i had to do with recording with steve was this was uh Oh God! What's it called? Bing, 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 do, do, do. Marsh Hollow. Marsh Hollow was the re-recording of Marsh Hollow, right? With the vocals, and um, I was is when I lived where where I live now, London. And uh, he had the singer in, uh, Louisa, to, to come from Louise. Sorry, he had the singer Louise in from France to record, and. He wanted me to come to, because I'd already recorded my parts, but he wanted me to come to record. Well, this is what, it turns out, what, what, all he wanted me to record was basically like five notes pizzicato in the background This you know, sort of not, it sort of feels quite inconsequential. But, you know, to Steve, it was, it was really important that I did it. So he told me that we were going to come and do a video I think I think he was making that up. This is what I think. I can't. He did make I think a video he w-
1: though. Well, I here mean we that that that's on video. That yeah, song is on. That's video. on YouTube.
0: Yeah, we did do a video. But when I got there, they were like, <laughs> "Hey, man!" <laughs> I was like, "Yay, hey, how's it going?" They're like, "Yeah, we've done, but uh, we just need you to do the you know the the pizzicato thing, and then uh, then we're good." I was like, "Cool, what about the video?" And then they were you know they were just like, all looking at each other, like sort of laughing a little bit. But like, oh no, yeah, yeah, the video. Uh, yeah, I don't know about the video. And I was like, what the fuck do you mean you don't know about the video? I've just come all the way, like this tell me like it's Sunday. It you know, the, the southwestern trains are terrible. I've just been on the train for like three hours or something, and you want me well, you want me to come and just do pizza car? I could have done that from home. I could have just sent it to you. And he's like uh <laughs> yeah so i was like no we're doing a video so i made him do a video and that's the video
1: really that's, that's on yeah i
0: was like we're doing a video like we were all like everyone was like packing up and i was like man guys we're doing a video i'm not coming here to do a, you know so that that's video what video is
1: amazing it's really nice isn't it? it so that's not the version i mixed then that's no. not what's on the album
0: no that the video is not it was was not To the track, we just we just played it again, yeah. And he and 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 um, Tim just did a sort of quick job on mixing it and putting it together. It does sound
1: better than everything I've ever done. (laughs)
0: Nah, no. I mean, I think it sounds like it sounds like a really good record, like uh, video recording, basically. But it doesn't. It's it's, not everything's tracked. Like sorry, not everything. We've not got not everything's uh, miked. So I think it's like mainly room mics. Yeah. No, but it then, sounds great. And it has
1: the yeah. vibe. It has the vibe. And it has, again, Steve just admired Louise so much. And he was yes. so happy that she came. So the last correspondence I had with Steve was I told him that I had a dream that we talk on the phone and we're supposed to meet somewhere. And he's telling me, dude, I can't come right now. Louise is here and I think I really have a chance with her. <laughs> like that was the dream. And I told and I told him and he was like, Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that was your dream.
1: That was my dream. That's a that is that's so weird. I I that that's on my scale that's not a weird dream. But let's listen to that song then. Let's listen yeah. to Marsh Hollow featuring yeah. Louise Thulon.
0: Yeah, so that track Marsh Hollow was played at Steve's funeral, which was held in Derby a couple of months ago. It was a really difficult day for so many people and you know what testament to Steve as a person. It was the room is packed.
1: The room was packed room, with musicians.
0: The room was packed with musicians, but also just people because Steve was Just like, you know, this this is always this case, right? When someone dies, you're like, oh, he was a great guy. But this guy really was a great guy. And he really did, like, he had people around the world who would describe him as a close friend. So many people, more than anybody I know. As in like, I don't think anybody, I don't think I have that many people around the world that, that would describe me as their close friend. I have some but I don't have as many as Steve. And I don't think many people do. Steve had so many close friends. And they were close friends with you know, that was the thing. Like it wasn't it wasn't just that they felt like everybody they sort of were because Steve had a way of of becoming close with people just instantly. Mm-hmm. And that was just a, and that could be just as meaningful a relationship as you have with your friend that you've been to school with and known your whole life, and I yeah. think anyone listening who knows Steve is is going to agree with me on this. So that that room was packed full of people who absolutely devastated, but it was also packed with, as well you know, musicians from all over the place. And that one of the most amazing things was getting. We all decided to play together one of the uh, the songs that Steve used to sing as a joke. He used to sing. Uh, What's it called?
1: i be... No. Um, no. I, I don't
0: that, want yeah, to set the,
1: the
2: world, world fire. on fire. I,
0: yeah, by the Inks boss. Yes. Um, And we all played that. So there was like, what, 20 musicians?
1: Yeah, it must have been.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was actually quite awkward because we stopped too early. It was, mo- it was like... And I, I was sort of having... T- I was standing up sort of leading it. And we ba- we basically got two different think we got asked to do two different things one was from uh, the family which was what we initially thought we were doing but then the the priest dude came up and was like yeah so just play and then stop and then i'll start or something weird happened and basically we yeah. got the wrong info from the priest
1: That's i'm, I'm the just first blaming time the priest that, that ever happened that. somebody getting wrong info from the priest. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think it's this. I'm not sure, but, uh, you know, go for it. Could be hell.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Could be hell for you.
0: Yeah. Um. So, yeah. But it was, you know, even so, even with, we, we basically played it like twice and then I just sort of sat down and we stopped. And there was this like silence. And then like, I think someone looked at me and was like, we we, we gotta do that again. So we had to so we saw stood up again and we just played it again, but it was still great. Yeah, it, you know, it
1: sounded great and he would really yeah. loved it and the song that Kourosh played for him on stage sounded great. And yeah. including the keys that the organist dropped in the middle of Kurosh's song. Uh, that was great. Yeah.
0: yeah. Oh and, yeah.
1: And then we spent ten hours at a pub which is the which was the real funeral, really.
0: Yes. That yes. that's
1: that's how he would have liked it. <laughs>
0: Yes, I think he would um it was uh you know it was, it was a it was a really difficult day, and it you know probably could be one of the most difficult days that I've ever had to be honest
1: but um, it had something uh it evolved into something very positive i think i mean yes the the what what happened we can't change, but the way Steve's mom, Linda picked up the the baton and and ran with her son's spirit yes and it also how committed she was uh to getting the music out um Mm. i mean it's something that i felt should probably be done yeah but um on the first time i talked to her that was probably sentence three in the conversation she was like Okay, when are we getting this done? I want to pay yeah. for this. Um, I I I offered Steve when he was alive. I I wanted I wanted to do this. Um, yeah. And then we went off to the races, and as a result, we have something that. Um. I've been working on this, um, these albums with Steve, so for almost seven years now, and I can attest that these are. Musically, exactly what he would have wanted. Steve, mm-hmm. um, Steve okayed all the songs in the album, he okayed them when he was still alive, so mm-hmm. that's one. And, um, in terms of the graphics, the graphic design, the uh, vinyl quality, and all of that, uh, I can attest that he would 100% approve. And be happy with it in his uh, humble way. <clears throat> These uh, vinyls which we're talking about today are for sale with all the proceeds going to the Steve Aston Foundation, and maybe you could tell us a bit about that.
0: Yeah, so the Steve Aston Foundation is something that is being led by Steve's mother, and we just felt and Steve's mum felt that something good needed to be needed to come from this. And Steve was such like a caring guy and the sort of guy who helped a lot of people out. I would say he helped me out when I was first getting into playing and he was a very supportive guy. So we're in the in the process of setting up a foundation that's that's going to revolve, revolve around supporting musicians, basically. And there's more details to come on that, but at that's, the moment, that's what's going on. And we've already raised... I think it's over two thousand pounds. Have we? On oh, just that's giving. amazing. On just giving.
1: And the vinyls bring us to the next subject, which is the twenty-ninth of November at the Rose Hill in Brighton, where we are going to hold a concert celebrating the life and music of Steve Aston under the title of Grimaldi Cinematique. Um for those of you who didn't know, um, Hopefully that's millions of you who are just listening right now and didn't know. Um, <laughs> Steve's ultimate vision for this uh, project was called Grimaldi Cinematique. Grimaldi um, is a name that was with the project since it, the get-go. For those of you who don't know who Grimaldi was, he was one of the most famous first clowns, maybe even the first. Um, uh, an A Londoner from the early 20th century, if I'm not mistaken. There's even Mm -hmm. a square, Grimaldi Square, just behind uh, St. Pancras, I believe. Mm. And I guess we could delve into why the sad clown, like why the ultimate sad clown is the name of this, but we're not gonna. Um, But uh, the the cinematic part is also a very important Mm. uh, suffix, I think, to this name, because... This did get to be of cinematic proportions, um, the length of time, the breadth, the scope of thinking and rethinking, of recording and re-recording, <laughs> of and and at the same time of knowing when something is perfect. Yeah, uh, Steve did not at all in this uh, double vinyl, as we m- mentioned earlier. Um there are recordings from twenty thirteen from well our first uh Grimaldi sessions done in uh, the now defunct uh hatch studio in tenbury wells mm. um Steve did not at all wanna to touch those recordings um six years later with technology being way better um with us being able to do things that would just make it sound a bit better mm-hmm. and especially more uniform with the other newer recordings steve knew when something was perfect for him it was perfect for him yes so the scope of time goes on on two axes goes in two ways uh on here is how he wanted to evolve things sometimes with just five notes of pizzicato for which you make somebody do three hours of train rides for. And sometimes with changing absolutely nothing because it was perfect when it was first done. Mm. So um that is the cinematic part. And I feel like a double vinyl in this day and age. Vinyl is coming back. That's one thing. But having a double, putting all the effort into telling a story mm. through... An exquisite, exceptional article. Thinking it through for years, um, the cinematic part for me really rings true.
0: Yes. Yeah, that's an interesting um, outlook. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about, it, but I hadn't thought about it like that. But yeah, you're right. <laughs> there was, it, there was so much to and froing. That, like that was, that was like a running joke as well. Just always, like he'd, he'd call me off. He'd be like, "Man, I've got it right. What we're we gonna do?" <laughs> <laughs> what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to re-record the first 3 tracks of the blah 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 and we're going to and then we're going to do this and then we're going to put and then we'll put this on this and it was like i remember like when we were trying to work out what we were going to put on these vinyls it was like we were trying to work out what steve wanted we're like i can't remember and like there was so many things there were so many di- like changes but the thing is it wasn't like he was like frantically like changing things like oh god this is terrible I'm gonna get rid of it oh I'm gonna it wasn't frantic it was like he was like always like trying to piece together like the perfect you know
1: one thing the, was the, terrible one thing what? was was beyond beyond acceptance what's that that is the breathing oh he's in breathing the solo for Magali
0: yeah he breathes through, really um, loud through his nose doesn't he he's playing what he you would felt- breathe really loud through his nose
1: He felt the breathing was very loud. I felt it was appropriate. And this is probably the one and only disagreement I've had with Steve Aston for as long as I knew him. Uh, Because I felt this solo solo should remain. And this is the one time in his whole lifetime that I know (laughs) that Steve Aston was vain enough to go, Nah, man. (laughs) <laughs> nah, I need to redo it. That's so funny, yeah, because it was Magalie, I think we should listen to that in a second, but Magalie yep. was um is a song for a very for a girl very near to Steve's heart, and I think he couldn't bear the fact that he he would sound like uh <laughs> an asthmatic old <laughs> perverse. He didn't Individual. want some heavy breathing over his, <laughs> over his love song. On the, on, on the most romantic <laughs> song that he ever put out. Uh, and, and I don't know. I guess I don't mind heavy breathing, but he couldn't stand it. Uh, and when he was here last in my studio uh, in March, uh, we had a discussion over it. Um, we listened to it again and again, and he decided yeah. he wanted to do it. So I I tend to believe... But the last thing Steve recorded was the new solo. Yes. Uh, for Maggali. Done here. Yes.
0: Yeah. Right. That was the la- that was the last thing he that was the last thing he recorded. Yes. Um yeah, well we'll play it now. Let's play it now. Of the things that's coming up now, uh, as well as the uh, the vinyl release, which I guess has actually already happened. But as well as that, where do people
1: get the vinyl? By the way,
0: people can get the vinyl. I'll, t- I'll I'll give I'll give people stuff like that at the end as well. But okay. I guess no no no, it's cool. It's good to good to say. Yeah, you can get the vinyl. So yeah, doing on the hard sell now. You can order and buy. Yeah, order the vinyl from Grimaldi Cinematique dot com. Um, as well as this release, we are also working on a concert, as I think Barr mentioned, and it's sort of a little celebration of Steve. It's going to be on November the
1: what's the date? Twenty ninth, I believe.
0: Tw- November the twenty ninth, and will be it'll be basically Steve's band. So that's um, myself, um, Ellis Davis. George Burroughs, Nigel Broderick. Oh, and, and you. Barzalel. Barzalel's gonna be playing sort well, you and you and Ellis are gonna be taking the the me um me parts of Steve.
1: Are, yeah, we're gonna share some of Steve's parts. Uh yeah. we're we're also gonna have some people who feel very close to the music to come in and join yes. on specific uh, compositions that are dear to their hearts. Yes and we're so going to have people come up and tell some stories and share their mom- memories.
0: Yes. So it's going to be a celebration, uh, you know, more of a celebration than a than a gig, I guess. And uh yeah, I mean, you know, the thing is Steve was Steve was born in Derby, but he spent loads of time in Brighton. He sort of well like maybe 10 over 10 years, maybe 15 years, and Brighton has had such a a draw for Steve that it does feel quite fitting to do to do the concert there Um, it has been a pleasure chatting with you about Steve um, and just about the whole thing Um, yeah
1: see you for the concert
0: yeah man see you soon we're gonna finish the podcast uh, listening to one more track from Steve uh, called Bluebell Um, thanks so much for listening uh, it's been, yeah, it's been pretty difficult actually. The most, the most difficult part is actually I've just been editing this, um, just now, and that's actually been really difficult. Listening back to these stories uh, about someone who meant a great deal to me, uh, you know, listening back to the stories, is the, my own stories, it's just really, it's really difficult. Um, and just in general, losing a friend, it is, uh, it's, it's such a good friend, it's one of the hardest things that's ever happened one of the worst things that's ever happened to me so um i hope that this uh podcast hasn't been too heavy and and i also hope that it's uh helped people just uh you know find out a little bit about who steve was and what his music was all about and maybe it's uh maybe you'll check out his stuff and like I've said, like we've said a couple of times, the vinyls are still for sale. They're on Bandcamp. That's Grimaldi com. Also, if you're in Brighton on the 29th of November, please come down to the uh, little celebration of Steve that we are having at the Rose Hill Tavern. Um, there will be, there's going to be links to all this in the description of the podcast. You'll be able to... You know, find out more also on my Instagram, Facebook pages, and the Jazz Violin Podcast social media outlets, etc. But yeah, thanks for listening. Um, hope you have enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, here is Bluebell.
2: Why a situation now? That's these doing it again. That's fucking we did before, didn't we? did before, didn't we, though? Did like? No. 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 didn't. There's, always been,
3: hours, we? there's, no. No. House there's always been
2: a house shortage. We started the programme building council houses. <laughs> there's always been a house shortage. I'm not saying that, are we? There's always been a house shortage. shortage. Yeah, we if we take like 20 million it. houses out of the market, Jules, without putting any back, there's going to be a problem, isn't there? That's all I'm saying. But it's the same fucking people that had been living them in the first place. So he hasn't really took them out of the market, has he? Think about it.